Well, we are in this series called This is for Everyone. And when someone says, this is for everyone, it can mean several things. I remember my mom, uh, my mom made something she called Mississippi mud, which doesn't sound like something that you would want to eat, but it was this brownie fudge thing that had about 8,000 calories per square inch. You know, I mean, it was really rich and it was really good and uh, all of us loved it. All of our friends loved it. All of the people at our church loved it. And so if I would come in and mom was baking some of her Mississippi mud, I would ask, who is this for? And sometimes she'd say, well, it's for my ladies group or it's for the college group. And that meant that I would only get a piece if there were leftovers and there seldom was. Or she would say, I'm making it for the potluck at church, so this is for everyone. And what that meant was I wanted to be near the front of the line at the potluck because it wasn't for everyone. It was for those at the front of the line in the potluck. But sometimes she would say, this is just for us. And I like that because that meant our family would get it and we would get to enjoy it. But my mom also made this awesome cereal mix. It was kind of a Chex Mix type thing that my brother and my sister and I love. And she would make it and she would put it in a big bowl and she would bring it out and she would say, now this is for everyone. And that meant we had to share it. That's what it meant. It meant we couldn't sneak in, get the bowl and hide it as my brother often did, or pick out all the cashew nuts, as I often did, or cry when it was all gone because your big brothers ate it all before you got any, as my sister often did. It was for everyone. I, I remember another time when they said this is for everyone. When you're when I was about eight, there was a gift under the tree without a tag on it. And when it came time to open it, my mom and dad said, this gift is for everyone. And we opened it, and it was tickets to Disneyland. Now, let me be real clear. Disneyland in California. The real Disney. The first Disney. The best Disney, the only one at that time, but it was the real one and it's the best one, even if it is smaller than the one that Disney decided wasn't just a land, but a world later on. And so we were going to go to Disneyland and, and I liked that gift. It was the best gift that year, maybe for several years in a row because it was for everyone. We all got to go together. We got to spend the whole day having fun and being a family. So I understand when I bring a series called This is for Everyone that people may have a different reaction to that title. I mean, some are excited because it means that they and people that they love will be included. And others might be a little skeptical or they might feel that they'll lose out because so many people are included. And the fact of the matter is, in our divided world where there is so much division, so much polarization, it is something that we need to talk about. We need to talk about this. 
There, uh, after several decades of hate-filled partisan elections, after each election, we hear the candidate that eventually is elected say that their administration isn't just for the people that voted for them. They are, uh, their administration is for everyone. And we don't believe that generally when we hear a politician say that. Or we hear a group that has been marginalized for generations declare that their lives matter and people are quick to say, well, all lives matter and suddenly that same group that has felt marginalized feels even more marginalized because society has proven to them that when all lives matter, their lives matter a little bit less than other lives. You know, and some of the problem is when people say this is for everyone, different people filter that through their expectation of what that means. And their expectation might be lopsided. That could happen in many areas. Since announcing that we were giving the landing as a gift to our community, we have had many, many people give us ideas of what could be done in this space, and we can't do them all. And so some who didn't have their ideas accepted might think, well, this really isn't for everyone because they had different expectations. And sometimes that happens in many areas. But because of the division, because of the separation around us, because people seem to be talking around each other rather than talking to each other, and because people seem to be more willing to score gotcha points rather than to score real friendships and relationships, I want to spend a few weeks talking about this. I mean, we're not really talking about this building, but about God's plan to make sure that everyone knows his heart. He wants everyone to know that his heart is for everyone and that his church, his house is for everyone and that he personally is for everyone. God is for us. He's for us. He is on our side. He is for everyone. And God's plan to express his heart to people has always been his church. He says that the church is his body, that the church is his bride. And someday we can talk about how important our theology of the church should be. But though it's common for people today to indicate that the church isn't important it really is a vital plant, part of God's plan. He plans for everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus to be part of his body, his bride, his church. And being a follower of Jesus without a church would be like saying you're an NFL player and not having a team. The church isn't just a nicety, it's a necessity in God's plan. It is the team God wants us to be part of. Look at this verse from Ephesians chapter 2. Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. If you have ever felt like you don't belong somewhere, if you have ever wondered where you belong, this verse tells you where you belong. You belong in God's household 
with every other Christian. The church is the team God wants us to be a part of. Now, is it perfect? No, absolutely not. And it's imperfect because it's made up of people just like me. People just like you. Imperfect people. But it is the team that we're trying to win with Jesus with, or win for Jesus with. And together we make a difference for Jesus. Many people are cynical and they're skeptical about the church. And who can deny all of the scandals? Who can deny all of the hypocrisy that occur in the name of the church and in the name of God. I mean, it is truly awful. It's truly awful. And yet for every scandal, there are thousands of churches making a real difference and doing their best to help others. And I believe with all my heart that the church, when it's functioning the way Jesus intended, that the church really is the hope of the world. The church really is the hope of the world because it's the only thing in our world that can really affect change in the hearts of mankind. It really is. I mean, when you think about it, the government can't. We could elect the very best leaders and they would not change hearts. They'd make some good laws. And I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement, but all law enforcement can do, they can't change hearts. They can just enforce the really good laws that our politicians pass. And education is hugely important, but it doesn't change hearts. And health care and social security reform won't change hearts. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus does that. And he uses people. He uses his church to impact others. And so the church is the hope of the world. And it's for everyone. It's for everyone or at least it's supposed to be. Unfortunately, somewhere along the line, churches and people departed from God's intention and they started doing things in the church the way that seemed logical to them or best to them. And one of the things that happened was there became kind of an entrance process to get into most churches. Let me describe it to you. Here's the process. The process became, first you believe what the church believes. You believe what we believe. And then after you believe what we believe, you behave according to the accepted standards. And when you believe the right things and behave the right way, then and only then you can belong to the church. So if a person went to a church and they had some sincere questions about faith or they had some doubts about what the church believed, or they were struggling with a sin problem, they might not be welcomed. They might not be allowed to attend the church or church events. But I don't think that's the process Jesus intended, and it isn't the process that we have here at Impact. We want people to belong first. We want people to belong first, to come and attend and fellowship with us and we want them to know that it's okay if they have questions it's okay if they have doubts it's okay if they're still struggling with sin and we think that after they spend some time hanging out with us after they spend some time hearing from God's word that may lead them to believe what Jesus teaches us 
through the Bible. And after they believe, they will begin to allow Jesus to change their lives. And they will begin to, be, to behave like Jesus wants them to behave. Now, I want you to know this process is risky. And it's messy. But that's the way it works in Jesus' church. His church is designed to give acceptance to everyone. In fact, we read it over and over in the writings about the life of Jesus. He accepted everyone. He accepted many people who were sinning, many people who didn't believe in him. He accepted many people who weren't accepted by general society or by most religious people. Let me use the story of a man named Zacchaeus to point out several great things about belonging to Jesus' church. First, in Jesus' church and in our church, you can belong before you believe. You can belong before you believe. Look at the first five verses in Luke chapter 19. Here's what it says. Jesus was going through the city of Jericho. A man was there named Zacchaeus who was a very important tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because he was too short to see above the crowd. He ran ahead to a place where Jesus would come and he climbed a sycamore tree so he could see him. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Did you catch it? Zacchaeus didn't know who Jesus was. He was a short guy, a, a wee little man, the Sunday school song says, and he climbed up in a tree because he wanted to see who Jesus was. So he didn't believe in Jesus. Not only did he not believe Jesus was the Son of God or the Messiah, and many didn't believe those things yet, but he didn't even believe that Jesus was a great teacher. He didn't believe anything about Jesus yet. He didn't know what he looked like or who he was. He just wanted to see why the crowd was gathering and who they were making such a fuss about. So he climbed a tree to see who Jesus was. And Jesus stopped under the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house. Let's do lunch. And Jesus uh, Talk to him. Jesus was saying to Zacchaeus and to everyone, he's, he was saying, in my domain, in my church, you can belong before you believe. And Jesus surrounded himself with people who didn't believe yet. I mean, we even call one of his followers doubting Thomas. He he surrounded himself with people who didn't believe. But Jesus allowed people to belong before they believed. And the result of that was most of them came to believe what Jesus taught. And they came to believe who Jesus was. And after they came to believe, they became committed to following Jesus and spreading his command. So at impact, you can belong before you believe. And if you're here and you aren't sure that you believe in Jesus, if you have real questions about faith, if you have questions about whether or not this stuff is true, I want you to know you are welcomed here. You are accepted here. You can attend and you can worship with us. You can serve in many areas of our church. You can get into our growth groups. You can be a, a, a 
an active part here. You can belong here. And I will warn you, many who came here with questions and doubts have become convinced and are now people who believe. Belonging led them to believing and they committed themselves fully to following Jesus and that's a great thing. They became formal members of our church. For some, that took only weeks. For others, it took months or years, but they asked their questions and they dealt with their doubts and they came to believe. And we want this to be a comfortable place for people who aren't yet sure they believe all of this. And so you can belong before you believe. That means unconvinced people are accepted here. Unconvinced people are accepted here. Let's look at something else we learn about God's acceptance of everyone from the story of Zacchaeus. You can belong after you've been banned. You can belong after you've been banned. You might not have caught it from the first reading, but Zacchaeus was not a well-liked person. In fact, he probably had few or no friends in Jericho. Now, how do I know that? Well, we read it, but you might not have caught it. Verse 2 says this, a man was there named Zacchaeus who was a very important tax collector and he was wealthy. You see, he was not just a tax collector and a tax collector meant that he was working for the Roman government, which meant that he was working for the enemy. But he was not just a tax collector, he was an important tax collector, which meant that he was not just going through the motions of working for the enemy, he was really doing a good job. He was really helping the enemy oppress his own people. And he wasn't just an important tax collector. He was a wealthy, important tax collector. And that meant something quite different at the time. It meant he was using his power as a tax collector to collect even more taxes than the Romans required. And he was profiting greatly and personally by oppressing his own people. So Zacchaeus was an outcast in his area. He was not a popular person. It wasn't just the fact that he was short that kept him from getting to the front of the crowd to see Jesus. It was that he was hated. He was hated. And I really believe that he climbed that tree not just so he could see Jesus, but so that the people who hated him couldn't see him. He had been rejected. He'd been banned from their social circles and their parties. He was an outcast. And Jesus stopped under that tree and he called him by name. And he said, I want to socialize with you. Because Jesus wanted to say to Zacchaeus and everyone else, you can belong even after you've been banned. And some of you know what that feels like. You know what rejection feels like. Maybe most of us do on some levels. A few have actually felt banned from a church because they didn't believe the right things or behave the right ways. And some have never felt accepted in certain groups because of the color of their skin or because they speak with a different accent. And some have felt pushed aside because of their political views or their social standing or because they're single or single again. And some have felt banned from the in crowd because they didn't seem to be invited to certain groups or certain gatherings. So in small ways or in big ways, most of us 
have felt the hurt of rejection and feeling excluded by others. And it happens in parents' groups and in sports teams and in corporations and in clubs and sometimes even in churches. But when our church is functioning as Jesus intended, this should be a place where people who have felt pushed aside everywhere else can feel like they belong. Each of us should be able to belong here even when we've felt banned somewhere else. And Jesus and his church should say very clearly, rejected people are accepted here. Rejected people are accepted here. The next one is one people have a hard time dealing with and accepting. But in Jesus' church, you can belong before you behave. You can belong before you behave. So Zacchaeus is up in the tree and he's looking down. And um, Jesus says, I'd like to come to your house today. And look at what happens next. Zacchaeus came down quickly and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to complain. They said, Jesus is staying with a sinner. The religious leaders hear this and they begin to mutter and they complain and they say, doesn't Jesus know what kind of person Zacchaeus is? He is a sinner. Their statement might tell you more about what they thought of themselves than about what they thought of Zacchaeus. You see, they thought they were okay. They thought they were good enough to spend time with Jesus. They were good enough for Jesus to come to their house, but Zacchaeus wasn't. And I'm sure that they knew that they were sinners. I'm sure that they understood that they sinned sometimes, but they didn't think that their sins were as bad as Zacchaeus's sins. And this would become a common complaint that religious people would have about Jesus. They seemed to think that he spent way too much time with sinners. And Jesus addressed that complaint in Mark chapter 2. Look at what it says in Mark 2, 16 and 17. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus said they can belong before they behave because they know they need me. They don't think they're good enough for God. They know that they need him. But this is a hard line to walk in a church. It's a hard and difficult process to figure out because there's always two groups of people in our church and in every church. There are always the grace people and the truth people. The grace people and the truth people. And the grace people think we should love and accept everyone and that we should put up with everything that they do and we shouldn't tell them that uh, they're wrong or talk to them about their sins. And the grace people get upset if we lovingly point out that God expects people to live by his standards and to do what scripture says. And the grace people often call us judgmental or legalistic. But then there's the truth people. And the truth people 
are usually telling their friends what they think we're doing wrong. Or they're writing us emails and they're writing us notes and they accuse us of not being deep enough or not teaching the Bible or only caring about new people. And they want me to speak boldly about everyone's faults and to fall hard on everyone's sin. Well, not everyone's sin. They want me to focus on the sins that they are never tempted to commit. They don't want me to talk about their sins, about sins they might be committing like greed or gossip, but about sins that others are committing. And the truth is, this isn't a battle that happens just in churches. I found this is a battle that happens in the hearts of most people, most followers of Jesus. Most of us fight this battle inside ourselves every day. I want you to exhibit grace to me and I also want you to be a person of total truth. And you want me to be a person of total truth while treating you with total grace. And you see, there's this constant tension in most churches and in most Christians between grace and truth. So does impact emphasize grace or truth? Write this down. At impact, we are determined to be a place of grace that is built on a foundation of truth. We want to balance them. We want to balance them. And we have people coming here who are very open about the fact that they are doing things differently than what the Bible teaches in some area of their life. And we love them and we accept them and we welcome them in, but we also teach the truth of Scripture to them. Let me give you an example. People who are coming to Impact have indicated to me that they're sinning sexually. They're making different choices than what Jesus would teach in their lives. And in some cases, they've indicated they're living with somebody that they're not married to, or they, they, a few have indicated that they're involved in homosexual relationships and in those cases I say just like Jesus we love you and we accept you and you are welcomed here you can belong before you behave impact is a place of grace I want you to know that if there's any doubt about that I will meet you at the front door and I'll put my arm around you and I'll walk you in here to prove that you are welcome here but I also say to them you need to know what the Bible teaches that what you're doing is dangerous to you it's harmful it's not according to God's best plan for you what you're doing is sin and sometimes they don't like that you see somewhere along the line people began to buy the lie that says if I don't accept your behavior as okay that I might not be accepting you or loving you and when people say I'm not accepting who they are or that I'm harsh I say I'm accepting you and loving you just like Jesus did. And part of loving you like Jesus is teaching you what Jesus says is true. And often they think that their problem is with me or their problem is with impact, but it's really with the truth. You see, we are determined as a church to be a place of grace built on a foundation of truth. We want a full measure of both grace and truth in our church. That's what I want for our church. That's also what I want for my personal life. I want 
a full measure of both grace and truth in my life. I, I like the grace part better. I'll just be honest with you. That's the part I wish that I could focus completely on, but I need to focus on the truth part too. I, I have to balance them. And the truth is, I'm an awful sinner. And so are you. We're awful sinners. And our lives are unmanageable because of our sin. And because I'm a sinner, I am glad that I was able to belong in Jesus' church before I learned to behave. So balancing truth and grace means that we know our lives are pretty messed up and we don't have to stay stuck in our sin. We can let Jesus help us overcome our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. And that is a process that takes some time. So we want to say very clearly what we think the heart of Jesus would say. Sinning people are accepted here. Not, not people who used to sin, sinning people. And all of us are glad about that because we're all sinful people. We're almost finished here, but let's look at one more great thing about belonging to Jesus' church. You can belong while you are becoming. While you're becoming. Jesus is at Zacchaeus' home. And the time that Zacchaeus spent with Jesus is life-changing for him. It's life-changing for him. His heart began to change just in this time that he spent with Jesus. Jesus' acceptance and Jesus' kindness is transformational for him. Look at verses 8 and 9. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, I will give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I will pay back four times more. Jesus said to him, salvation has come to this house today because this man also belongs to the family of Abraham. The Bible word for what happened there was repentance. Zacchaeus turned away from his sin. He turned back towards God's plan. He was sorry enough for his sin to change his behavior, to change his life, and to try to make things right. And that repentance came not because of harshness, but because of kindness. Scripture says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so it was Jesus' kindness that turned Zacchaeus towards God. And it all happened because Jesus was accepting him when it was unpopular, when it was a risky thing to do. It happened because he didn't have to have it all together before he was accepted by Jesus. Sometimes people who are thinking about following Jesus think they have to get their lives together, and sometimes they use a more colorful word, but they have to get their lives together before they can become a Christian. Some have told me that they will become a Christian when they stop smoking or when they stop drinking or when they stop cheating in their business or on their spouse. Where did we get the idea that you have to be perfect before you can belong to Jesus? It's nowhere in the Bible. That was not the example of Jesus in any way, shape, or form at all. In fact, if Jesus was harsh towards anyone, if he was unaccepting towards anyone, it was the people who thought they were perfect. The people who thought 
that they had it all together. And we agree with Jesus, and we want to say clearly growing people are accepted here. And so if you're still trying to get it right with Jesus and you mess up every day, you are welcomed here because that's true of all of us here, including me. And how long does it take to get it right anyway? Well, I've been trying to, my best to follow Jesus since I was 10 years old, and uh, so that's about 49 years, and I will let you know how long it takes after I figure that out. It's apparently longer than 49 years. So we have said that unconvinced people and rejected people and sinning people and growing people are all accepted here. Now, if all of those people are accepted here, that means you are accepted here. You are accepted here. This is a place for everyone. It's a place for everyone, for frat boys and girls gone wild, for children with special needs and victims of abuse, for stockbrokers and steel workers and CEOs and single moms and truck drivers and seminary graduates. It's a place for politicians and meth dealers. It's a place for homeschoolers and public schoolers. It's a place for families that are falling apart and for families that are pretending to have it all, the, all together. It's a place for Steelers fans and Patriot fans and Eagles fans. This is a place for everyone. We want impact to be a place for you, a place for you to belong and a place for you to become because acceptance for everyone is the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of Jesus. I mentioned this verse last week, but it was while he was sitting at Zacchaeus's table, it's while he was sitting in Zacchaeus's house that Jesus declares his purpose for coming to earth. He said, the son of man came to find lost people and save them. That's the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is for everyone so his heart's for you. And we still want to help you move through that process to belong and to believe and behave. Jesus wants you to move through the process. He doesn't want you to get stuck. We don't want people to get stuck at just feeling like they belong here. We want people to move towards believing the truth of God's word and then to move towards behaving like Jesus. Because like Jesus, we want lost people to be found and rescued by Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that when we were lost, you came, you sent Jesus so that we could be rescued. And Father, we thank you that in a world that pushes people aside, that your church is a place of acceptance. And Father, we pray that you will Help us as a church to continue to show your love, to show your grace, to show your acceptance while also standing on your truth. And Father, we pray that you will help us be champions for people who are hurting, for people who are in process. And Father, we thank you for the people who have helped us through our processes. So... <coughs> Father, I pray for those that are considering their next step with you. I pray, Father, that you will help them to see that you love them and that 
your acceptance is for them and that your house and your heart is for everyone. And Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.